opening a podcast with Fallout Boy, which means one of two things that we're either really depressed or it's playoff hockey. And oddly enough, it kind of fits the mold for both of us this week. So, Sad. good evening. Welcome to uh, Season 2, Episode 16 of the Chin Music Podcast. This is the NHL Playoff Preview Episode here. Tim Culverhouse and Brendan Murray with you uh, as we get ready to break down the NHL postseason that has started up. We are recording this on Wednesday night, so the first round series are underway. Uh, we have a great guest coming up later in the episode as Brendan sat down with Chief from Barstool Sports to talk about the Western Conference. And because this is more of an East Coast-based podcast, we'll run down the Eastern Conference. But Brendan, it is playoff hockey time. Your thoughts? Sad. Why is that, Brendan? I mean, if if Tavares wasn't going to play until game four, like then it's all for the best because God knows this series probably would have been over by the time he even stepped on the ice. But like just a waste. I saw somebody try to try to spin it that like, oh, it wasn't uh, a waste. It was just kind of mildly disappointing. Like it it was a complete waste. Um, oh, I know who it was. It was Con Isles from Barstool. That's why I'm remembering it. Um, and I I disagree wholeheartedly with that. It was a waste. We'll, we'll hopefully get get some of the Islanders crew, you know, a bit later in the playoffs or after the season wraps up to talk about what's going to be just a remarkably stressful offseason for that team between the stadium and Tavares and the fact that they didn't make the playoffs. It's a whole it's a whole mess. But Tim Tim, you're a lot happier than I am tonight. And that was talking non-playoff hockey teams. So, uh, so sad. Yeah, I am. I am making – I am much happier tonight. Uh, the laptop is hovering above my lap after watching the Bruins win game one of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, we're going to make our way through each of the Eastern Conference series. So let's start with that. Bruins win game one, 2-1, two, two third-period goals, uh, come back and give the Bruins uh, an opportunity to take a lead in the series. Um you know, as a an observer of the game without a dog in the fight, what was your biggest takeaway in Game One, and what's your you know biggest thing you're looking for in the series between Boston and Ottawa, Brendan? Well, I think the first thing I was looking for, the biggest thing I was looking for, was some kind of indicator because you know I was kind of looking at it, and I think you know in in almost every situation you have you know series that are coin flips or series that you think that are kind of you have a vibe on and this was one that I really thought was a coin flip I've watched a decent amount of the Bruins this year I gotta be honest I haven't watched that much of the Senators I think I said to you they're like one of the most anonymous playoff teams like of all time I feel like they have Carlson and Ryan then it's like I don't know there's a no they're very good players I'm not trying to diminish that they almost won the division but just kind of an anonymous team but I think this is a toss-up, especially given the way these teams play. It's going to be low-scoring series, and obviously, whenever it's a low-scoring series, that kind of increases the variability or increases the chances for something weird to happen. So, all that said, I think winning Game One on the road is big for Bruin, the Bruins. Obviously, it's the, it's the first step in a long climb, but I think the fact that they were kind of able to shift the script a little bit and give themselves, even if you want to call it a small advantage, I think it's a pretty big advantage, but even if it's a small advantage in a series that I and I think a lot of other people feel is kind of a coin flip, that that's a big first step. Going off your point about an anonymous team, Ottawa doesn't have, outside of Carlson, really that big star, and Bobby Ryan had a pretty down year for them, but it's the fact of how they play with mm-hmm. the one three one. Yeah, that's how, a big part of it. I mean, it's tough, it's going to be gener- tough to generate stars if you're only scoring one or two goals a game. And the thing that's the most encouraging for me as a Boston fan after tonight was the fact that even though the Bruins went down 
which is a recipe for disaster against Ottawa in that one three one. You do not want to be playing from behind, especially like if, late in the late in the game when the first when the first goal was scored, at least relatively. Yes. So, for the Bruins to come from behind, that's a huge part, and then also the fact that. They were able to weather the storm in game one in Ottawa, another huge thing. And the fact that they got zero shots on goal in the second period were without David Krejci, without Brandon Carlo, without Tory Krug, and also without um, Colin Miller for most of that game. That's just a big confidence booster. And, you know, this young team was able to go in there and, and get a win and, you know, shake off some of the cobwebs from an Ottawa team that really dominated them in the regular season. And yes, still very much a coin flip in this series, but that's a, a big step in the right direction for Boston in game one. And I think one of the other things, and, you know, maybe you feel differently on this, but, you know, I think Tuke is a very talented goaltender. Um, I kind of wanted to see him put up or shut up a little bit, you know. Um, not that he hasn't been playing well and kind of keeping the Bruins afloat in certain seasons, but, you know, we, we joked about before how, you know, we saw them play two weeks ago, how Tuca kind of had a tendency to fall apart injury-wise or illness-wise or whatever-wise late in the year. And, you know, if they're going to make a run in this series and definitely pass that they're going to need Tuca to steal some games and kind of play with that lights-out goaltending, I think Bruin fans sometimes expect, given, you know, the run they've had from Thomas to Tuca. Um, and getting a game stolen like this in game one on the road when they could have very easily lost this game 3 nothing or been down 3 nothing early, I think is huge. No, he had himself a big dick hockey game today. Made several huge saves. Kept them in it, where, like I said before, where they literally didn't have a shot on goal in the second period. He was able to keep that a one nothing game. The lone goal he gave up was a crazy bounce, and it kind of ended up in, his, in the back and then off the side of... You know, off pretty much the goal line. I mean, there's nothing really he can do on that. So, excuse me, that was a, a big game for him. And, and something that the Bruins, I, I said this to my dad after the game, you bought yourself a game five mm-hmm. at the very least. Regardless of what happens, you've assured yourself five games in this series. And at, at, with the players that are out for Boston, I'm okay with that right now. Yeah, I, I guess that's what I was really going to bring up next before we get to you know moving on to the rest of it looking forward is – between the problems on the blue line, although I guess we'll talk about McAvoy in a little bit, but maybe the problems aren't that big as they thought if this kid's going to play to the level he did tonight. But, you know, Krejci getting checked out at the last minute was obviously pretty startling when the broadcast, I mean, maybe you knew about it. I obviously wasn't. No, I had no on Twitter. I gasped audibly. I didn't even care who won that game. I, I did not gasp. I said something that you cannot yeah. say on the radio. Um not good. That that bothers me. For him to make the trip, participate in pregame warm-ups after what was clear, uh, counted as a quote-unquote maintenance day yesterday, that's not a good look for David Krejci. He's led this team in scoring, led the playoffs in scoring the last two times the Bruins made a run to the Stanley Cup and to just bang out on game one minutes before the game. That's that's a bad look. That's a real bad look. I mean, I guess the you know by the time this comes out on Friday, we'll probably have a better idea. But is there any indication as of now of what his status is outside of he missed tonight's game? Uh, I forget if they said the generic upper or lower, but <laughs> it, it was one of those two. I know that doesn't do much, but I have no idea. Um, really, kind of caught me off guard. I really took to heart that it was just a maintenance day yesterday, but alas, here we are. So I guess before we uh, before we move on, what's your gut in this series, Tim? 
No, no. No. I, no. I have no chance. Uh, Hockey is the one where I'm the most passionate about. I like to think I'm the most knowledgeable about and I care the most about. So I'm not making any predictions. You got me to do it in football. I won, by the way. And uh, I hated myself for doing it, even though it worked out in the long run. But no chance am I doing it in hockey. No chance. I'm going to say the Bruins in sex, just for the Perfect. for the Perfect. Um, I will take the, uh, the thank you very much anyways, uh, tip of the hat type of thing. Right. So As if I wasn't sad enough, Tim, um, the Rangers won tonight. Like... <sighs> A one nothing shutout? Did they get an empty? I think they. Then? I think it was two. Um, okay. But hey, I mean, Tanner Glass beating Carey Price. If you had that as your uh, game one winner, I guess you probably are collecting a pretty nice bet. That was the first goal of the playoffs, too. <laughs> I guess cash in your pools. Yeah. Um, that's a big. Similar to what the Bruins did tonight, that's a big win for the Rangers, just because Lundqvist has historically sucked in Montreal. He's been beyond like below average so for him to play that type of game that was a a big moment for him and the the thing about the rangers is that they were the best road team in the nhl this season Mm -hmm. so montreal having to draw them in the first round as the quote-unquote wild card team that's a tough draw and you have like king henrik and he stands on his head that's a that's a big win for the rangers and i'm sure the French-speaking media will love the fact that Claude Julien-led team scored zero goals in the first round of the playoffs. I'm sure that will go over very well. I think what at least I'm hoping for here, and I'm sure a lot of other people are, and it could set up this way, is just kind of an intense goaltending battle. Obviously, Lundqvist posts a shutout tonight. You need Price to post one either in Game 2 or 3 and just have those two guys like you know, Henrik Lundqvist and the guy that's pretty much going to absorb the throne as the best goalie in hockey or pretty much already has, I guess. Um, that's where I just didn't pass, but it'd be fun to watch those two stare each other down. Obviously, the Rangers and the Canadians are both teams that can struggle to score at times, so that kind of plays even further into that hand as we saw tonight, but that could be a series where you see not just one or two shutouts, but like you know, three, four, who knows? I mean, it, odds are even the team that wins these games aren't going to be scoring more than you know, two, even three goals is going to seem like a lot with these two guys in that it's the thing that's crazy is that the Bruins Ottawa series, it's going to be two, one, one, nothing, maybe three, two, if you're lucky because of the one, three, one that Ottawa plays. If, if it's a one, nothing or two, one game, it's simply just because Carey price or, uh, Henrik Lunk was just playing out of their mind. Yeah, so exactly. I'm with you there. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to watch that. Obviously the, the Rangers have some problems on the blue line too. Um, and they've got some injuries as well, so it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. I guess we'll move on over to the other series featuring Metro teams because the NHL playoff system is super weird, and there are three series featuring Metro teams because nothing makes sense. Um, it's perfect. I love it. <laughs> the Blue Jackets and the Penguins, and God, this series is just, I mean, it's just not going to be that fun to watch, I don't think. I mean, it will be in certain regards, but talk about a series with not a lot of likability factors. It will be in certain regards because those two teams really do not like each other. That's a juicy first round matchup for the NHL yeah, that's just based true. off the just based off of the, the, the previous history with them. It's the one team but, Crosby's ever fought against, right? Uh he had a couple of fights. He actually used to fight Andrew Ferentz with the Bruins back in the day, but Nick Felino fight. Yeah. Felino and Crosby are great, great battles. Um so 
I'm with you there. This is a series, John Tortorella. First off, we fucked John Tortorella, woke up a hockey leftovers. Um, against Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, your boy Phil Kessel. Uh, so the no only more. thing to like in this entire series is Phil Kessel and people getting under Sidney Crosby's skin. That's full stop. The enjoyable parts about this series. Yeah, and then the rest of it. Mark Andre Fleury playing tonight and playing well is upsetting because I really don't like Mark Andre Fleury. Um, but yeah, I mean the rest of that series, it's I don't want to watch any part of it. I don't want either of those teams to win. I, yeah, I, I really don't have much else to say. I, Pittsburgh's going to win that series because somehow they keep putting together all this young talent that supplements Crosby and Malkin and Latang. But, you know, fuck them. No, thank you. Um, well, I guess my biggest question in this series, and just especially looking forward, is to see how big of a loss Chris Latang is for the Penguins. I mean, obviously it's going to be huge. I mean, oh yeah, huge, I was gonna, huge. Obviously, that kind of goes without saying. Whenever it's your top defenseman, it's a, it's a big loss. I mean, the Islanders kind of test to how losing any defenseman is a huge loss. They've dealt with that in a few playoffs in a row now, but except for this year. But um, what, what? yeah, I need a sad trombone behind me. But with with the Penguins, it's going to be interesting because obviously that team is not lacking in stars and is not lacking the ability to score the puck. So that's not a team that like necessarily needs all hands on deck. Latang's going to be a huge loss, but I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle a good team that knows how to play them well and, and knows their strengths and weaknesses in the Blue Jackets, and if they can handle them with some kind of relative ease and you know five or six games, something like that. Then, you know, maybe Pittsburgh can do more damage than I'm giving them credit for at the outset. But I do agree with you. I think Latang is going to be a big deal. I'll give the Penguins this one in six or seven, I guess. I don't think the Blue Jackets can overcome them, but I wouldn't rule it out. If you told me the Blue Jackets were able to get a few bounces and win this series, it wouldn't shock me. Also, once again, fuck John Tortorella. Guy's the worst. And, like, we were so – someone else said it, I forget who, but we were so close to getting rid of that dude. Like, the U.S. – the World Cup of Hockey for the USA was a disaster. Everyone had that guy's, like, head on a spit – and he had a terrible year last year in Columbus. If Columbus had come out and had the start the Islanders had, that guy would have gotten fired and like never coached in the NHL, or maybe ever again. And now he's going to win a second Jack Adams, and we're never going to get rid of him. Nope. He's going to be, you know, if, if when, when they went on that huge run, and I remember we had the discussion, whether it was on the podcast or not, about if he, when Columbus was on top of the Eastern Conference, when they were winning games 15 16 in a row and it looked like they were a legitimate cup contender not that they aren't anymore but if he somehow manages to win another stanley cup he's going into the hockey hall of fame and that's a real kick in the nuts i didn't even think about that end of things i mean at the end of the day for him and you know like like it has for much of the season it's going to come down to what pravovsky does if he stands on his head in this series and going forward they they have a chance, but outside of that, they have a lot of depth. It's an interesting squad. You know, you hear all the time in the playoffs how it's the third and fourth line guys that win you a series, and if that's the case, then the Blue Jackets probably have a pretty good chance. But I, I just think the Penguins are just are too good, and even minus Chris Letang and the other guys that are kind of banged up, I think you know they're still good enough here, and maybe they start to feel the pressure in the next series when they look at somebody like Washington, which uh, I guess brings us to that. This yeah, is the no, series that, I'm like the most excited about, maybe in the whole playoffs. The other one is Edmonton-San Jose, which I talked about with Chief, but this one is tantalizing in a lot of different ways. Well, that's because you've got uh, 
you know, your little Russian flag on your coattails with Alexander Ovechkin. I, your passion and enjoyment of Alexander Ovechkin boggles my mind. And I sent, feel so dirty about it because he's in my division. But like, that's what I'm saying. It's so he's pure. In your division, he routinely kills your team. He's and, so pure. Like it's just, he's everything I want more of in hockey. Like he hits hard. He shoots hard. He does not play the whole bullshit media game. He goes and plays in the Worlds and the Olympics. Like, he's he is the ideal like forward. I, I'm sorry. I, honestly, like, I it's that whole Caps team, I like them. And again, I feel like it's like my dirty little crush. But, like, I like Hopi a lot. He's fun. I and mean, he's obviously... You're, you're a big Tom Wilson guy then, oh, right? Yeah, he's like the one guy that ruins it. And he, he's enough to ruin everything about it. But outside of him, like, I kind of, you know, Shattenkirk's an American. O- Oshie, obviously, is a fun guy to watch. Even Justin no, TJ Oshie was, was no longer fun. When he was when he's not wearing Team USA, I hate him. I don't know. Yeah, see, I don't have this weird line that you have. Um, so, but on the other side, I've watched a lot of Toronto this year, thanks to my, like, Handy Dandy Elite Pass subscription. And... That team's fun as hell, too. I mean, the problem is, in the playoffs especially, that team blows third periods leads like nobody's business, which is part of what made them so fun to watch. But they can give Washington a run for their money if they're really fast and, you know, you turn around and you're down 2 nothing. That can get, you know, that can get scary quickly. I don't mean do nothing in games, more 2 nothing in score. But I think Washington wins this one. But it wouldn't shock me if Toronto, kind of in the way Philly did last year, and I think Toronto is obviously a much more talented team than Philly, could kind of shake Washington's cage a little bit. You also have the element of Washington always gagging in the playoffs. I I think it's coming. Toronto's not going to be the team to do it, but Matthews, Nylander, like they have some real good young talent it on could that be, team. And it could be next year. You know, they, they take their lumps this year. They get that much better. They add some, you know, a little bit of strength on the defensive end. Hopefully they get a little healthier and, you know, bigger and stronger and, you know, it could be next year or the year after. I'm not saying they'll win the cup, but when they're really in that serious contention. Um, but, you know, Tim, I know Washington gags all the time. And I know everyone's like, oh, maybe this is their year. But all I want to tell you is that we've seen the Cubs win. And we've seen Cleveland win. And then now this this weekend, we saw Sergio Garcia win. And I don't know, doesn't it feel like kind of the next step in that is the Caps, like, Beating a upstart Toronto team, finally beating the Penguins, even if they are a little banged up, climbing over somebody like the Rangers or the Bruins or Montreal, and then getting to a final and finally doing the damn thing. If that happens, if all that happens in a calendar year, Cleveland... We're three quarters of the way there. We just need the Capitals. Then it's seriously find your bunker time. Like, that's... Those are all the signs of okay, we're we're reaching critical mass here because those things should never happen. Um, and I, you know, it, it does. Now that you point that out, I hadn't really thought about that, but it, it really does kind of have that feel. But for as much as you mention that, and for as much as it seems plausible that this could finally be Washington's year. Isn't this the perfect scenario for Washington 
to blow out Toronto in the first round and then lose in six games to Pittsburgh or Columbus next round just because they're the Capitals? No, listen, I, it wouldn't shock me either way. It just feels like, you know, Pittsburgh's a little banged up. Um, that minus Latang, you know, minus Latang plus uh, Kevin Shattenkirk is quite the swing from last year's series. Um, and even if it just stops ends with that. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying it's automatic. I guess this kind of brings us into who we both ideally want to see in the cup. I'm sure in the East for you, it's obviously the Bruins will kind of take that out of the equation. For me, it's, it's Washington. If not Washington, it would probably be Toronto just because that'd be really fun. But I, I can't imagine that happening, at least not this year, unless Matthews just turns into some kind of otherworldly demon. Um, in terms of the West, that I guess is probably more interesting from your perspective, I want to see, again, it's oddly enough they're meeting in the first round, but either Edmonton or San Jose. Just again, I either want to see uh, San Jose get the monkey off their back in much the same way that Washington. Again, I like a lot of the guys on San Jose. Um, and again, Edmonton's just a damn fun team to watch. Would you pull your cock out if the cups or if the uh, Sharks win the Stanley Cup? Only if Joe Thornton scored four goals. Okay, well, I mean, as as is lo- as is federal law. Yes, I appreciate it. Um, in the East, if if it's not the Bruins, I really don't care. Now that the Bruins are back in the playoffs, yeah, I mean, that's kind of to be to be assumed. yeah. Um, I mean that, and the fact that the, all the other teams in the Eastern Conference, like as a Boston fan. None of those teams are appealing to me. No, <laughs> no, no chance yeah, I could ever true. find myself. It kind of just lines up pulling, but having a vesting interest in a Montreal or a Washington or fuck John Tortorella again or Toronto. S- Toronto, yeah, you can you can lick the underside of my <laughs> asshole for that. No, no, thank you. Um, so get on the Washington train, Tim. That you probably just nothing then. No, absolutely not. Alex Ovechkin, TJ Yossi, Barry Nonek Trotz, Braden Holby. No, the fact, don't you. be mean to Barry Trotz. Yeah, he, he's built like a linebacker with don't a black be, jacket on. Don't be mean to Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz is a lovely human being. Yeah, I'm sure he is, but he just looks like he's a turtle retreating back into his shell. He does kind of look like the guy from Master of Disguise, whatever that god off of. Yeah, Dan, Dana Carvey. Yeah, exactly. there you go. Okay, well, now, um, now that we've completely lost the plot, who do you want to see come out of the West? Edmonton is definitely a team that would excite me. And I wanted to make this point before we got too far into it. I really like what the NHL is doing marketing these playoffs. It's no longer Crosby. I mean, yes, they're still doing stuff for him. but I mean, listen, Crosby's still... Yes, he's still the face of the NHL. I like that. But they're, they're making an effort for Matthews, for McDavid, for Couture... For Johnny Goudreau, from Marshan, like they're they're taking their outside look and getting beyond Sidney Crosby because they've done enough about you know Sidney Crosby and the player of the NHL and all that. But and the Blackhawks, sorry, Chief. yeah, and to way too much in the Blackhawks too. So I guess I'll, <laughs> as we get to a Blackhawks interview, yes, Edmonton is definitely one. The thing is, is that I, I remember reading a lot of the Canadian media um, leading into the playoffs about. How Edmonton is like this fun upstart team that everybody wants to see do well for Connor McDavid, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, then you think of some of the players on that team, like Zach Cassian and Milan Lucic. Yeah, I was going to say, it's all fun and games until Milan Lucic spears somebody. So that can be a team that my emotions can change pretty damn quickly from. Um, yeah. uh, so I guess Edmonton for now, but 
I wouldn't mind seeing the Ducks make a run. Oh, I like Ryan Getzloff. Strong boo. The Ducks, I mentioned this, they're a team that like I forget about because the Islanders only play them twice and they're obviously out in the West. Their games start real late at night for us. But whenever I get reminded of them, God, that team is like the West Coast Blue Jackets. And just like they're annoying and they're good, but they're also shitty. Like Corey Perry. Perry and Getzloff. I hate all I, those. Ugh. I like Getzloff. I really like Ryan Getzloff. Strong black. Um... So I guess that would be one. I don't need to see the the Blackhawks do anything again. And my my last one in the West would be the Minnesota Wild. Charlie Coyle being a Massachusetts kid, it's a fun connection there. Um, so that would be okay. And then the Wild don't really have anybody that I don't like. Um, I I enjoy Stahl when he's there now. Suter, Parise, like they have a lot of Americans on that team, so I can kind of get behind him there. But... Um, those would be, I guess, the three that I would be okay with. I, I really don't care about San Jose and Joe Thornton because that's that's my Moby Dick, the one that got away. Um, but aren't you going to throw him a parade if he wins in the grand tradition of Ray Bork? Yes. Uh, I believe the parade down Causeway Street for the 60 people that would go um, is already planned. You don't get um, to make fun of me for that joke considering what you fucking did. Threw a yes. parade for a uh, Disgusting. That was Disgusting. that was before Boston became the winningest city of the 21st century. Not a proud moment, but I think we've moved past it. I I, I disagree. Um, <laughs> all right, and now to talk about the uh, western half of the NHL playoffs, we're going to welcome on Chief or uh, Ryan Brandle from Barstool. How you doing, Ryan? Brendan, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, glad to have you on. Obviously, me and my co-host, Tim, who's uh, not here for this portion of the program, are more East Coast guys, so we wanted to get someone to get you know, a bit of the West Coast perspective or the Western Conference perspective. And I guess we'll start you know, w- with your Blackhawks and the Predators. And one of the things that I keep hearing that hasn't made a ton of sense to me is that this is, isn't a great matchup for the, Black, for the Blackhawks or there's, you know, this isn't what they wanted going into the playoffs. Does the matchup make you nervous at all? Uh, no. Uh, I mean, look, at the Predators are a tough team, so, sure. right? I mean, they, they've got talent. They always compete hard. Peter Laviolette always has them going. They've got good goaltending. Um, and I think they're one of those teams that people see as a dark horse just because they they started slow. Okay, mm-hmm. So they, you know, they had the, the leadership vacuum of Weber going and it just seemed like they it took them a while to get their legs underneath them with you know they had basically they lost like the, their, their captain and the, and the, the guy who set the tone for the entire team sure. uh with that trade for pk suban so i just think you know they it took them a little while to get it going and figure out who to who to play pk with you mm-hmm. know eventually they settled uh on matthias Ekholm instead of roman yossi as the, the pairing uh, with suban so they just had to, to sort some some things out and i think you know, people are like, oh, well, they're better than their record is, um, when in reality, they're probably not. I, I think that, you know, they're they're a good team. I think it'll be, a, a you know, a, a tight series. Uh, I would be very surprised if they managed to get a win. Really? To win, to win the series, I should say. Oh, okay. I was going to say. Yeah, it won't, it won't be. I'm not <laughs> predicting a sweep. Uh, but I would be very surprised if they knocked the Blackhawks out. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I thought the Blackhawks finished really strong to end the year. They obviously were able to vault themselves on top of the division where that might have seemed like a long shot earlier in the season. So the narrative that this wasn't a matchup that the Hawks wanted didn't really make a lot of sense to me. The other thing I've seen a lot of that didn't really add up, 
And I guess it's just when the Blackhawks have the resume they do, you have to find ways to poke holes in them one way or another. But is there penalty killing? I know it was abysmal in the early part of the season. It's kind of slowly crept back up. Do you think it's something they've figured out, or is that is that a sore spot going into the playoffs? Um, it, it's not like a lights-out penalty kill sure. by any stretch. So it, it's, But it's not 77% um, either. So that's what it's at right now. I think it's 24th overall in the league. Mm-hmm. They were so bad in October and and maybe the first part of November on the on the penalty kill it was like an automatic goal so for them to go from I mean they were honestly probably below 50% for sure the first quarter of the season it was, it was the worst penalty kill I've ever seen <laughs> it, like it just it just didn't make any sense they're running around a little bit and then um, even sometimes when they're in position they feel like the goaltending would kind of betray you a little bit and it just it led to just terrible results. So they, they did get it figured out. It's certainly not like, you know, one of the bottom five or six PKs in the league where it's you know, because we're where it's ranked right now. Sure. Uh, but it's not, you know, some type of, you know, iron curtain out there either. So it's uh, it's good, it's not great. And special teams for the Hawks are not uh, uh, super strength. Uh, and and usually they're not. It's something. It's it's a weird thing that you think they have all this talent. Sure. That they'd be yeah. able to have a lockdown um, penalty kill and a, a prime time power play. And the power play really throughout this era with Patrick Kane and Taves has never been like super super awesome. That's so, interesting. Surprisingly. Yeah. yeah. I know you mentioned him a little while ago, just in terms of the kind of change of face that the Predators have, but. You know, Subban's always been a guy that shined in the playoffs. You know, what what are your thoughts on him and what he brings to the Predators? Do you think, you know, it, he could kind of come alive? You know, he hasn't had the you know most star-studded season after everyone wrote about how you know how badly the Predators won this trade. Yeah, and I was kind of on the other side of that, so I wrote a blog right when it happened because I just I mm-hmm. couldn't really believe the internet's reaction. Um, I thought it, you know they're two great players, Shea Weber and PK Subban, and. You know, Montreal clearly wanted to change their culture. Uh, and so they removed Lars Eller and replaced him with Andrew Shaw. And they took out P.K. Subban and they brought in Shea Weber. So what they did is that Montreal, they just got there. Are we allowed to swear on this? Yeah, oh, yeah. Please. All right. They're a bunch <laughs> of bad motherfuckers now. All right. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're a tough team to play against. And I think uh, Nashville certainly um, used to have that as well with Shea Weber. He's a son of a bitch and, and they don't quite have that element on their back end anymore. Ryan Ellis certainly isn't that. Roman mm-hmm. Yossi isn't that. Uh, Matt Irwin's got you know a little bit of bite but not really. Um, um, so the, I think I think Subban's great. He's electric. He's fun to watch. I don't know that their D is better uh, than sure. it's been in previous years. I mean they had they had some unbelievable depth on defense back in the day with, with Weber in his prime, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Suter, Roman Yossi's been there a while now. So I, I think it's a really good defensive group. The, the people talk about how their top four is so awesome. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really see that. It's like, I, I'm so kind of perplexed by the, the commentary out of, on, on the internet and on TV about how great the predators are. I think they're really good, mm-hmm. but like, I think that top four is vulnerable because they have three guys who really want to go offensively. Subban wants to go. Ryan Ellis wants to go. Uh, Roman Yossi uh, is definitely 
uh, probably more of an offensive defenseman. Uh, he's probably stronger on that end of the ice than in his own, although he, he's good on both. But it, it's not like, and their third pair is garbage. Mm-hmm. So I like, I just, I don't see it. Like it's kind of good <laughs> back to like people saying this is a bad matchup. So many people are saying that, and I keep looking for angles to how people could think that, and it's like they have that top line, okay, of. Uh, Johansson, mm-hmm. Arvidsson, and Forsberg. It's a great line. Sure. It's a great line. Arvidsson, I would take him on the Hawks so fast. He's a <laughs> he's, he's little, you know, little guy at 5'9", but he plays so hard. He's got you know nice finish around the net, goes to the net. Just He's just a worker, and he works at both ends. He's a really nice player. I feel like the majority of the league doesn't really know about him because he plays in Nashville, but because he's in our division. Sure, you see him a lot. We see him a lot. So I have a lot of respect for that guy. Philip Forsberg has obviously established himself as a you know a top flight goaltender. Both those guys had thirty one goals. It's a really good line. And Johansson, great playmaker, all of that. Johansson is kind of a soft little piece of shit. Okay? I mean, Tortorella ran him out of Columbus, and they, they did that uh, Seth Jones trade. Yeah. And and he is a legitimate number one center. He's kind of got some, as a comp, would probably be like a Joe Thornton, you know, sure. a bigger guy, a, a pass-first type center. But a bigger guy who doesn't play big and a guy who doesn't always compete super hard. I, I, could, I think if we get Taves against Johansson, I mean, that – that Taves line is going to drag those guys. And and they're great when they have the puck, but I, I think Taves will will be the far superior player in the match sure. with those two centers. I also like Anisimov. I'd love to I'd love to get in a track meet with those guys with Panarin's line, Panarin Kane and Anisimov against that line. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that. You put Duncan Keith and Jalmerson with any basically any of the top 9 um, any of those top 3 lines for the Hawks and I feel good about it. So and then after that, for the Predators, there's a real drop-off. Mike Fisher's had a nice year, but shooting percentage is like four points above his career high. That's why he's put up so many goals. Uh, he's their number two center. I think he's a really good player, but he's probably, if you're a cup contender, Mike Fisher's probably your number three. Sure. Uh, Colin Wilson's out with an injury. Uh, James Neal, I hate James Neal. <laughs> uh, he's still a good play. He's still a good player. Uh, but his production's fallen off a little bit this year, and then kind of same thing with as their uh, as their third pair. Their fourth line is garbage. They got Cody McLeod, who's just basically a, you know a, a tough guy who can't play. Um, you know they just they just don't have that depth, and they don't have that secondary scoring. So people looked at the Hawks last year and they're like, "Where's the where's the secondary scoring going to come from?" Because they, you know, really the only line that produced last year was the Kane line. And it bit him in the playoffs. And that's the Chicago Blackhawks. I have, have Taves and Hosa and, and three Stanley Cups and all that. And they just they didn't have that depth of scoring. And I don't see where it's going to come from Nashville. I think the Hawks, I really do. Like, the more I think about it, the more I've been, I'm, like, halfway through my preview blog and talking to you, I think the Hawks are much better than them. Um, so, again, the Hawks have a bunch of rookies. So that'll be, you know, kind of a learning curve. I think, if, you sure. know, who knows how long it'll take to get for those guys to really – kind of get in that playoff group because it is different. But, man, I I don't see it. And it's like talking to you is kind of getting me fired up. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. Rear Admiral, Rear Admiral, the, the Boston guy picked the Preds. I see a lot of people picking the Preds. Yeah, I saw, like, I saw more than I thought. I think it's just Blackhawks fatigue, which pisses me off. Sure. Also. 
Um, assuming the Blackhawks do move on, who would you rather see them play in the second round? Do you think the Wild are for real, or do you think I know the Blackhawks have certainly had the number in the playoffs? Do you think there's anything different this year, or is it the same old story? I think I think they're different. Um, I think they're a little bit deeper. It's one of those things where their young guys uh, have probably taken that next step, mm-hmm. and uh, and then their older guys haven't really fallen off a cliff yet. So they're in that they're in that prime time. Um, you know, Suter's still really you know a, a legitimate top pair D. Um, Jared Spurgeon's really he's another one of those guys in, that gets lost in the Central Division, but he's he's smaller, but he's sure. really really good defenseman. Uh, and I think that Eric Stahl and Martin Hansel trade, you know, it made them pretty big and nasty down the middle because Mika Koivu, uh, Mika Koivu gives Jonathan Tate some some problems historically. Uh, so they're a really good team. I, I, it's, again, I don't think they have the high-end finishers mm-hmm. uh, and the depth of scoring that the Blackhawks have, and I don't think they're quite as deep um, on D as the Blackhawks are. So, I, like, Matthew Dumba is, like, fine, but if he's in your second pair, you're probably not feeling that great. Eric Stahl, uh, as a, you know, as their other center I talked about before, he's had a real – I don't know where he found his game because he's been dead. For yeah, he's had a great years. year. He's had a great year, but again, it's just I don't fully trust him. Um, so I think they'll beat St. Louis. I'd rather play St. Louis. I think St. Louis is trash. Um, you know, they were sellers at the deadline for a reason. Even their own management doesn't believe in them, so they had to get rid of Shattenkirk, and and the injury bug really bit them. I think Stasny's out right now. Robbie Fabry was out for the year, mm-hmm. uh, so I would be I would be surprised. And they they never really did anything to replace Backus either. So I know like that was probably the right decision to not bring him back. Oh, I think it certainly that, was. Yeah, yeah, that ridiculous contract <laughs> Bruins gave him, but. You didn't really replace his leadership or his production in the lineup either. So it's like they ha- they've got Tarasenko's line, and that's about it. Yeah. So I think I think the Wild will beat the Blues. They got the edge and goal there too, and then it'll be Hawks and Wild, and that'll be a tough series. It'll be like I feel like people think I'm such a homer that I'm always picking Hawks at <laughs> four or five. It's well, not the case. Like I know like it's on a razor's edge. I mean, we saw. I mean, if you're you know watching them go through all these Stanley Cup runs. You know, they were the well, 2010 and 2013. They fucking smoked everybody. But <laughs> um, but in the fight in that 2015 year, like you know, that Anaheim series was such a war that easily could have lost that. Um, and then the Detroit series in 2013. I guess they didn't smoke everybody. They were down three one in that one. They had to come back. Sure. They lost last year on some bad bounces. They lost in 2014. Off of you know an overtime in Game Seven against the Kings, off a puck that hit Nick Letty's ass and went in. So it's like you know it's it's a very small margin. So I am respectful of that. I'm not saying that like they're just going to steamroll everybody, but I I think you know on paper and and they they're better, and then they just have that extra championship medal too. Like Taves and Kane and Hosa and Keith, those guys in Crawford, they just always show up. So I think. I think they'll they'll handle Minnesota as well, but that'll again it'll be tough. Every game will be a you know one goal game, something like that. But in the end, I still like the Blackhawks. Out in the Pacific, I think the Oilers and the Sharks are maybe the most interesting series uh, in the West, I, just I, given the young and old disparity, and obviously McDavid's first shot in the playoffs. You know what are you looking at there? Yeah, that that one's kind of interesting. Like you said, it's it's another one of those things where. 
you look around the internet and, and, and other places, media, TV, whatever, mm-hmm. everyone's picking the Oilers. Everyone, they got the best player. Obviously, Connor McDavid's going to be the MVP, won the scoring race. Uh, I think everybody wants the Oilers to win. They are still a young team that's never done it, and the Sharks just came back from the Stanley Cup Finals. The Sharks, it, it, I feel like people are like overly dismissive of the Sharks. I know they're a little bit banged up, but, man, they, they still got you know a legitimate – you know, top flight defenseman, Mark Ott, Edward Vlasic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they got Brett Burns, obviously, is, you know, a Norris type guy, but more so for his offensive game. Pavelski is good. Thornton is, uh, I thought his leg was going to fall off, but he's, well, it sounds like he's going to play. Marlowe is still there. You know, Joel Ward is still there. They still have the Logan Couture. Sure. They have the guys, like, they have guys that have been there before. And I just, I don't know. Everybody. Everybody picking the Oilers kind of makes me be like, I don't know. I, I kind of want to pick the Sharks in that one. Like, everything says Oilers. Like, they're yeah. the younger, faster team. But I just think that, a, you know, in playoff time, a grizzled team like like the, like the Sharks. And it's not like the Sharks are bums. You know, no, they of course were just not, yeah. the Western Conference champion last year. So they seem like a team that kind of lost their way a little bit this year through some injuries and things, but it could also be a team that has a light switch come on uh, this time of year. So um, I think that one's going seven, uh, maybe home ice and Edmonton at the end is, is what puts uh, Connor McDavid's boys over the top. But I think it's, I think it's going to be a lot tougher than what people around, around the internet are saying. Yeah. I think when you look at the sharks, they're kind of similar to the black Hawk Blackhawks in the way, even without the rings, they've been in the playoffs so many times now with this group that when they get off to the hot start like they did in the regular season, they kind of turn off to a certain extent. And like you said, guys get hurt, and all of a sudden, you know, they lose a few games and they don't look so great. But we saw last year that this team this team is good, and I, I agree with you. I think they could turn it on and, and beat Edmonton, especially if they can come out and win one or two of the first two uh, in Canada. That can really kind of get Edmonton back on their heels. Com- completely agree. Completely agree. The other series out west is kind of the opposite. It's the one I have like the least vibe on. I just don't see much of the Ducks or the Flames. They're not like super interesting teams to me. Um, Ooh, I disagree. Yeah, I, you know, I guess this is probably part of the East West. I mean, I it's one of the things where even when the Islanders play the Ducks, you know, the two times a year, whatever it is, I realize I end up hating half the guys on that team. So I'm sure if you see them a lot, you probably feel even more so. But uh, you know, this is a series I just can't get a vibe on. Yeah, I, so. There's some some interesting storylines there where I think Calgary hasn't won in Anaheim in like 12 years. It's, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, like that. something ridiculous. Uh, yeah, so that is, is part of the equation there. But I, I see, you know, uh, L.A., Anaheim, and San Jose are kind of like the past of the Pacific Division, and Calgary and Edmonton are the future. Calgary, right. uh, they kind of got overshadowed by – uh, the development of Toronto at, at Edmonton this year, taking mm-hmm. those giant leap forward, but they're no slouches themselves. Yeah, Matthew yeah, Chuck is a great young rookie. They got uh, Dougie Hamilton, still a young player. I'm not sure if you're, you're a Boston or New York guy. I'm I'm from New York and now I live in Boston. So okay, so both. But Boston, <laughs> I think you know they they love Dougie Hamilton and oh, then yeah. he left, so they they now he's bumped. But he's like he's a nice <laughs> young defenseman. Um, uh, Sean Monahan's a, a nice yeah. player. Sam Bennett. Uh, has got a lot of ability. Johnny Hockey, Johnny Goudreau, like they, they they're, they, and then they've got some championship type, you know, former Blackhawk guys, sure. Michael Frolik and, and Troy Brower and, and uh, Brian Elliott's a veteran go- uh, goalie for them. So they're an interesting team. 
Uh, I think they've got a bright future. I was hoping we'd get a Calgary uh, uh, Edmonton battle here at some point. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but I and, and the other thing other than Calgary not being able to win in Anaheim is that those two teams hate each other. Mm-hmm. They hate each other. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, they, the Anaheim hurt Cam Fowler uh, with kind of a, a bad knee-to-knee hit, and then Cam yeah. Fowler might be out for the year. I haven't I haven't heard an update on his injury, um, to be perfectly honest, uh, but he's out, I know, at least for the start of this series. And then um, – there was a highlight that I saw. There was like when they were playing up in Calgary, probably about ten days ago. Um, Johnny Goudreau is just going through the going through the neutral zone with the puck, and he gets simultaneously slashed on each wrist Oof. by uh, by Kessler. I think it was uh, Kessler and Corey Perry. So Oof. it was just or, yeah, Kessler and Corey Perry. They both whacked him, <laughs> and he just threw his hands up like at the ref, like what the fuck? Yeah. Like, so like, they, and it just seemed like it was almost like an intent to, to an intent to injure, or or at least if not injure, then intimidate. Least, yeah, get in his head. Yeah, so it, it's just like the two, and they and Calgary's got some tough guys. Obviously, as a as a little punk kid, eighteen years old, Matthew Kachuk's had to oh. throw, uh, but they got uh, Michael Furland's tough, Troy Brower's tough. Uh, so they, you know, I think if you're looking for some like late night, like bloody battles and fisticuffs that is your series so all those games there are gonna we go be, you know all those games are going to be like nine o'clock starts uh and they're they're going to be worth tuning into because it's going to be you know it'll be pretty good pretty good hockey pretty good pace a lot of talent obviously it gets a lot of draw and all those guys and then they hate each other and i that's what the playoffs are all about that's I mean, always i love when people hate each other so I'm definitely interested in that series. I couldn't agree more. I, th- I think that's a good place to leave it. Chief, thanks a lot for coming on. You can find them at Barstool Chief on Twitter. You can find them, obviously, on BarstoolSports.com. And did I see you're going to be making your TV debut? Yeah, I'll be on CLTV. It's like a local sports station here in Chicago. Oh, so, right. uh, so yeah, TV debut. Got to lose like 20 pounds by Sunday. All right. Well, well good luck with it, and good luck to the Blackhawks. And uh, maybe we'll have you on uh, near the end of the playoffs. Sounds good, man. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. So that was Brennan with Barstool Chief talking Western Conference playoff picture and also a lot about the Chicago Blackhawks. Makes sense. So that's going to wrap up the NHL-specific portion of this episode of the Chin Music Podcast. Let's go into our three stars of the week, uh, our favorite people and stories from the week in sports. Uh, Brendan, usually a lot more serious about this. I have some fun. Um, I'll start off with my number three star, and that's 19-year-old Long Island resident. Yeah, my boy. Uh, Charlie McAvoy. Um, big game in game one of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals um, for McAvoy. Looked like he'd been playing in the NHL all year. Really liked his game. Confident. Didn't get caught out of position that bunch. He had a couple of tough breakout passes that resulted in the Bruins being hemmed in their own zone for a couple of minutes. But otherwise, a strong game from the from the kid making his NHL debut in the playoffs. Uh, really impressed with him and Excited to see what he can do moving forward after this game under his belt. Yeah, I really found out about him leading up to and after the draft last year, and I watched him with BU and in the World Juniors this year, and you don't see too many high-level hockey prospects from Long Island, so that was pretty exciting. And watching him not only get called up, but start on the ice and you know come close to leading the Bruins in ice time if he didn't actually lead the way was pretty impressive. And kind of staying with the theme of hockey on Long Island is, Tim, I don't know if you heard, but shit's about to get wild. They're going to put out a re- an actual request for proposals to finally develop that land in Belmont, and the Islanders are 
reportedly going to be submitting a proposal. Um, there's also going to be kind of a counteroffer from the people that run the Barclays Center to bring them back to the Coliseum because the people that run the Barclays Center also run the Coliseum. So there could obviously be some kind of deal worked out there. So the next month is going to be crazy in terms of the where they're going to play. And then the month after that is going to be pretty crazy in terms of who is going to be playing at wherever they're going to play. Um, maybe, maybe a month each is kind of truncating it. Maybe it'll be six weeks, two months, you know, even longer. But it's going to be an interesting next, you know, summer, we'll call it, for the Islanders because they could go from playing in Brooklyn with John Tavares to playing God knows where without him. Um, or they, on, you know, on the flip side, if you want to be positive, they could be building a shiny new arena in Belmont um, to christen a, you know, an eight-year deal with Tavares. So it's going to be a wild three months, even though the Islanders aren't in the playoffs. There's going to be rumors everywhere and ridiculous stories and absurd drama because there always seems to be with the Islanders. They're like this weird laughing stock, despite a pretty proud history. So I guess buckle up, even though the Islanders didn't make the playoffs. I think the thing that you and I talked about, if they do go with the Belmont uh, arena horse racing, isn't there a casino right near there too? Um, not in Belmont, I don't believe. Um, I think that's, that's part of the debate. They, they were talking about putting a casino there, but it never went through. Um, there was talk of putting, uh, Long Island Cosmos, the soccer team. They're trying to build that back up again. It's currently, mm-hmm. you know, they're currently working their way up, trying to get back into the MLS, I think is the goal. Um, I covered that a little bit for the Long Island Herald back in my time there and that, that both those projects died. I don't know if they would be resubmitted. My guess is the Cosmos probably would. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if the casino is dead because that got a ton of like local pushback and, you know, community groups and stuff. Um, but it's certainly not automatic that if the Islanders submit this RFP, they're going to, they're going to get it. Um, I saw that in a couple different places today that there's probably going to be competition, um, and which makes the Coliseum slash Barclays thing that much more interesting. But, you know, now how would that work? Because didn't they reduce the Coliseum seating to like 15,000? It can be bumped back to what the Coliseum had, um, in the old seating with, with different expansions or sections. I don't, I, I don't, I forget exactly. That's something else I, I remember from covering, uh, the new Coliseum plans at the Herald. I hadn't seen like the final plans, um, once they actually opened it, it just opened last week to kind of mix reviews actually. Um, but at least when I was initially seeing the blueprints and the artist renderings, it was, I believe 16,000 and could be converted to between 19 and 20, whatever the old Coliseum was. So I guess that would be the idea. I mean, all of this is just kind of a giant negotiating tactic. And I think who knows what their actual end goal is. There's so many different balls in the air it's tough to tell if the end goal is Belmont, if the end goal is returning to the Coliseum, if the end goal is working out a better deal with Barclays, or if the end goal is something that we don't even know about yet. Or maybe they have no idea what the hell the end goal is. I mean, I don't know. But that's kind of the big question because there are so many different rumors and half options in the air that it's tough to tell what, what you know plan A is to even know what plan B might be. So it's going to be it's gonna be interesting. And then you throw the Tavares, you know, contract thing into the mix and it's going to be a, a bit of a stressful offseason at times for Islander fans so uh, buckle buckle in I guess you want to go into your number two speaking of balls in the air yeah I mean this 
my number two star goes to somebody who basically turned me in one moment on a Sunday in Sergio Garcia up until the putt left his putter pretty much, or maybe even until it fell into the cup on Sunday afternoon and he finally won. During the playoff, during the whole thing, I didn't want to see him win. I liked having the you know the lol cow, the guy we could poke fun at, Sergio, hits it into the water. What was it, a few years ago, he said that he never even thought he'd win a major. He was just kind of this laughably sad dude. But seeing like the pure joy on his face and how the crowd reacted to him when he won, you know, it's tough for me to root against a guy like that. And he was just so like clearly genuinely excited that I ended up being happy for him and wishing I ended up rooting him for more in the tournament. So hats off to him. Nice to see somebody get the monkey off their back. That's kind of always a great thing to see whether, you know, it's what I end up rooting for in a lot of Stanley Cups. And it's the same thing with, you know, guys who haven't won in a long time in golf, I think, or at least a similar thing in terms of majors where you start to just want to see the guy finally get that monkey off his back and be able to exhale and stop being always mentioned in the greatest without a trophy conversation so good for Sergio and maybe he can reel off a couple now we'll see see you and I are counter opposites because I really enjoy the guy joking all the time I like oh I liked it I liked I liked him joking all the time I still like I was talking with friend of the program Rob Dowd about that time what was it at Sawgrass when he just couldn't stay out of the water he hit like three straight shots in the water on like Easter Sunday or Mother's Day or something like that it's one of my oh, favorite. Oh, beautiful. Oh, it was glorious. I remember like texting somebody like, I hope he hits it in the water again. And before I could even finish sending the text, the ball was in the water. It was just poetry. But just the look on that guy's face when that putt, like, and the, the way it ran around the rim before it fell and the look on his face when it dropped was just like such a pure luck that it was, t- I, I, I couldn't, I didn't have a stone cold heart, I guess. Yeah, I do. Um, that's that's why I wanted the Cavs to lose. I wanted the Cubs to lose. Oh, I, want I wanted the Cavs to lose. to lose. I, w- I want the team that suffers the most to continue suffering. I think that's a better storyline. I enjoy that so much more. So, like when Phil had it won, I never wanted him to win a major. I didn't want Sergio to win a major. I just wanted – I want that suffering. That makes it that much more entertaining. And, you know – yeah, I'm, I'm a terrible person, but, that, you know, sue me. Um, I wanted Sergio to lose because for him to get that close and then gag it up again would have been even sweeter. When he that missed that putt on like 18, a, I'll say, I was like, I oh, that was a great feeling, watching him miss that putt on 18 the first time. That, and I also have to say that he always seems like kind of a squid and a weenie, oh. that I don't really like him either. So Remember when he got mad at Tiger too. for like taking clubs out of his bag too early or something? Exactly, uh, so that's why I didn't want that guy to win a major. And now he has a fucking green jacket, because of course he does. All right, what's your number two, Timmy? My number two is, uh, you know, probably one of the more well-renowned thinkers of the 21st century. Um, somebody who doesn't just shoot from the hip, who makes a, a, a genuine effort to make sure that there's a lot of logic behind his discussion. And that is University of Maryland President Wallace Lowe. <laughs> And I really enjoyed his take on the UNC <laughs> scandal about how he believes that UNC should get the death penalty for their academic fraud scandal that's going on. And, you know, for as like out of the blue his interview was that generated this controversy, I, I'm not that far off from him because 
A, fuck Roy Williams, and B, like, I'm glad that a school finally got called out on it, and I really hope UNC does get smoked because of it. Um, but for this dude to just come out and clearly have no bias on the situation as the <laughs> University of Maryland president to be like, yeah, they should get the death penalty. They got to the ACC like program. two weeks ago. Yeah. It's – um. Yeah, it, it, it was something where watching him say that and just come out – and I, I don't know if he was prompted, if he was asked about it, what he thought about the situation, or if he just decided to be like, you know what? UNC should get the death penalty. Like, good for this dude. So Wallace Lowe, A-plus week for you there, bud. And the way, like, you know, I, I first found out about it, and I think I sent it to you when we were just talking about it. You know, you, you read it and you figure that he's, like, on some type of disciplinary committee or, you know, he has some type of knowledge. And he's just basing it on the same reports that we've all seen. And he's just, like, what a sandbagging son of a bitch. Just blasting someone in his own conference. I, I kind of can't hate it because it's just such a, like, villain, I'm going to get find a way to get ahead move. But just absolutely despicable. But I guess that's what Tim Stars are all about. Absolutely. Right, 100%. Take us home, Timbo. Who's number one? Do you want to go with your number one, then I'll finish off and All right. wrap up the podcast? Sounds good. My number one is a guy that I was a little worried about going into the year. I'm still not convinced on, but good Lord, is he fun to watch. Aaron Judge. First of all, the man is built like a linebacker or like a defensive end is just – I think I was at opening day this week, and I think he was 6'5", six, six, 275, like – just freakish dimensions, even for an athlete, but especially for a baseball player. Um, and when that dude swings, it's a definitely a bit of like, you know, kind of a slow looping swing. You hope you can consistently make contact with it. But he knocks the shit out of the ball on a consistent basis when he makes contact. And he's hit three home runs in his past three games. The Yankees have got themselves a little early season winning streak after opening on the wrong foot. And, uh, you know, now they're back in it, and this is kind of probably what the Yankee season will be. A lot of up and down, a lot of win three, lose three. Um, as young guys kind of find their stride, they're very streaky, but it'll be fun. It'll be maddening at other times, but hopefully guys like Judge and Sanchez, when he eventually comes back from that arm injury, which, God, hopefully it's not more than a month, um, they can keep doing freakish stuff like hitting balls so hard off the wall he only gets a single, like – he railed one off the bottom of the wall and hit the cement bottom and came back directly to the left field there and they popped it into the cutoff man. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Um, and hopefully he keeps doing shit like that. I don't even care that it's baseball season right now because I have playoff hockey, so <laughs> I really have nothing to add to that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Much less a rookie on the Yankees. Yes, exactly. <laughs> For a team that's going to win 70 games maybe. Hey, 82. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I don't have much else to add, so I'm going to change things here. And I actually do have a baseball player, and it was only because it was the night before playoff hockey started. And Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo was somebody the Red Sox should have in their system still. They don't. What he's done with the Cubs, uh, I really kind of fell in love with Rizzo in the World Series last year where he was visibly crying with happiness after the Ben Zobris double in the extra innings of game seven and then watching him kind of lead that team onto the field an opening day with the world series trophy after they raised the banner at Wrigley 
then to have the walk-off hit that night, like, who's having a better week than this dude? He's the king of Chicago baseball. He's a kid. He hits the ball 500 feet. He just seems like an enjoyable guy to be around. And I'm really jumping on the Anthony Rizzo bandwagon, and I'm a you know, I, I'm I really enjoy the fact that he looks like he's having fun playing the game, and he's doing it the right way, and that makes things that much more enjoyable as a non-fan. So, Anthony Rizzo, good week. I wish him nothing but the best, and I would give a lot of things to have him on my team. And also, thank you to uh, a dumb friend in our fantasy league for trading Anthony Rizzo to me in fantasy baseball for uh, hey, Jose Abreu. Well, I mean, I, I like Rizzo a lot too. I, I didn't catch the uh, the opener for the Cubs, uh, but I mean, like you said, watching him last year and really watching that whole Cubs team last year was a lot of fun. They were they managed to stay so laid back in such a high profile and high pressure environment, and he was obviously a big part of that. And Watching that environment, I know people are starting to get a little sour on it in certain areas, but I think it's still pretty entertaining and a pretty wild scene in Chicago, and I'm sure it will be throughout the year. So I guess on that note, after 45 minutes of hockey talk, we'll end it on a baseball conversation. We'll end it on a baseball conversation, but then we'll go right back to hockey. <laughs> uh, follow us on Twitter, at Colby13, at Murray Sport Talk. Uh, some variation of us will be back next week for episode 17 of season two of the Chin Music Podcast. You can catch all of our writing except for the vacation week this week on ChinMusicPod.com. And we're going to end the show with hockey and another generic playoff anthem going back to Fallout Boy. Hit it, Brendan. Sometimes it does start to go, but you will-